0: Support for this podcast is provided by SHL. From talent acquisition through to talent management, SHL's science and technology maximise the potential of your greatest asset, your people. SHL help you create the diverse, agile and innovative workforce you need to succeed in an unpredictable environment. Their data-driven people insights, unmatched portfolio of products, engaging experiences built on science and global expert services are all delivered on one platform for all your people answers. Visit shl.com to learn more about how SHL can unlock the potential of your workforce. There's been more of scientific discovery. More of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine and in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 336 of the Recruiting Future Podcast. The future of jobs in an age of AI and automation has been a popular topic on the show. However, we've tended to talk in quite theoretical terms and never truly considered what practical solutions there might be to the inevitable displacement of jobs. Millions of jobs have already been lost in the pandemic and the World Economic Forum predicts that an additional 85 million jobs will be lost to automation by 2025. So what types of job will disappear? And how do we upskill and transition the large proportion of the workforce who will be affected? My guests this week are Madeline Gabriel and Carlos Canders from Nesta, the UK's innovation agency for social good. Nesta has just completed a significant piece of research called Mapping Career Causeways which is intended to support job transitions and inform skills policy in a labour market that will be forever changed by AI and automation. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Carlos. Welcome to the podcast. Please, could you introduce yourselves and tell us what you do?
1: Hi, Matt. Thanks for having us on the podcast. Um, I'm Madeleine Gabriel. I'm a social researcher by background Um, And now I'm a deputy director at NESTA and I focus on economic recovery and sustainability projects.
2: Hey, Matt. uh, Thanks for having us also. It is really great to be here. And Actually, I'm quite excited because this is my very first time uh, being on a podcast. uh, So I'm a data scientist at NESTA and I worked in the Mapping Career Causeways project that we will talk about today. And previously, I completed a PhD in computational neuroscience at the ETH Zurich in Switzerland. And there I studied uh, the structure and dynamics of complex networks. For example, real developing neural networks grown in laboratory. But now, for the past year and a half, I'm studying different kinds of networks, uh, namely networks that consist of jobs and skills. And so, um, during this mapping career cause based project, I was looking at how workers can move in these networks and find uh, better jobs.
0: Fantastic. And we're going to dive into that in, in, in a bit of detail in a second. Before we do, though, it's probably worth just giving people a quick overview of Nesta and what Nesta does in case people aren't familiar with your work.
1: Yeah, sure. I'll do that. So we're an independent charitable foundation. Um, we were set up about 20 years ago and our purpose is to design, test and scale new solutions to society's biggest problems. So in other words, and we often talk about innovation for social good. Um, One area that we've been working on for the last few years is focusing on helping workers adapt to a changing labour market and avoid unemployment. And we've been doing quite a lot of different things in this area. Um, One of the things we do is fund and support innovators. So we've got a programme, for example, called Career Tech Challenge, uh, where we've got 20 innovators who are developing new ways to provide information, advice and guidance to adults. Uh, We've got another one called Rapid Recovery Challenge um, that is about trying to connect younger workers who've recently lost their jobs, maybe because of COVID, into other jobs that match their skills. And then a big area of our work is doing our own research and development and mapping career for causeways, I think is one of our most exciting projects. And that's why we're keen to chat to you about it today.
0: Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's a a phenomenal piece of work and it's something that I know everyone's going to find really interesting. I, I suppose just to set a bit of context before we get into the detail, one of the things that you've been looking very carefully at is the the labour market trends that are going to shape the the future of work over the next ten years? Could you could you talk us through what what those key trends are likely to be?
1: Yeah, we did a big piece of work on this um, back in twenty seventeen, where we looked at seven major trends that will shape the future of work. I'll say right up front, the one that we didn't look at was global pandemic. So we didn't miss miss the boat a little bit. But there are other things that are really going to shape the future of work. So one of them, of course, is automation. And that's quite a, a a factor that we look at in detail in mapping careers causeways. Um, but there are others too. Um, so we think, for example, sustainability transitions are going to shape opportunities. Um, so a shift away from um, highly polluting industries, for example, towards greener jobs. Um, demographics obviously makes a difference, with ageing population in a lot of um, richer countries. Um, there might, there are others around things like social inequality and what difference that, that might make if it continues to grow. Um, Urbanizations so and more people obviously living in cities and towns. Um, globalization, which, uh, you know, I think when we did the work in 2017, the assumption was that globalization would continue. But um, uh, we've seen some retraction of that um, in the last couple of years. So there are quite a lot of changes. And I guess um, one of the key messages of that work is that there's a huge amount of uncertainty. So that work tried to look at which, which jobs and occupations are likely to change, which ones there'll be fewer of, and which ones there'll be more of. We we're able to predict um, con- contractions in some areas and growth in others. But for the vast majority of workers, the future is actually quite uncertain. I think that's that's a key message, really.
0: And that obviously leads us leads us into the mapping career causeways project that you've that that you've done. Why did you do the research, and and how did you do the research, and and what's the research about?
2: In a nutshell, the mapping career causeways project, which was funded by J.P. Morgan as part of their new skills at work initiative, presents a new framework for supporting job transitions and also informing skills policy in a changing, uncertain labour market. And so, importantly or this framework, which is essentially a um, open-source career transition recommendation. So it's fully open and transparent, and it can provide very granular uh, recommendations for over 1,600 different occupations. So the initial key aim of this project was to support workers whose jobs are at risk of being automated by machine learning algorithms. And specifically, we were interested in identifying how these workers can build on their existing skills and experience and ultimately transition to more secure jobs that are less likely to experience technological disruption. And for the context, um, this work uh, started before the coronavirus pandemic. and At that point, you know, the major disruption we anticipated was automation. But um, partially in response to the ongoing pandemic, a second aim emerged, which was to develop a more general methodology and sort of a data-driven toolkit for measuring the resilience uh, of workers to various types of economic shocks for example, including COVID-19. And so this is the why of the project. And then how did we do it? And I'll break it down kind of into three parts, where the first part was um, to estimate the risk of automation for these 1,600 European occupations. And then the second part was to look at the actual workers whose jobs are at risk. And so we did this by identifying demographic patterns using the European Union labor force survey. And we did this for three countries. For the UK, for the uh, for France, and for Italy, and then thirdly and importantly, we um, essentially built a map of occupations that can help to identify potential pathways from these high-risk jobs to safer occupations. And um, so, to, to achieve this, we built we brought together multiple data sets, including the official European and American occupational frameworks, uh, labor force statistics, and um, these automation risk estimates that we made. And the crucial step here was to measure the similarities between the different occupations. And so we did this based on their skills, on the work activities, and also more broader interpersonal or physical and structural work sort of context features. For example, um, you know, how long you need to talk on the phone or how much face-to-face discussions do you have at work, or whether you need to stand or sit or or do the work outside or inside and stuff like that. And so to compare these features, we used uh, methods from data science and machine learning. For example, natural language processing to compare different skill sets and find the transferable skills as well as the largest skill gaps for any career transition. And this is not all. So to complement this quantitative analysis, we also did some more research and 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 uh, sort of uh, sort of um, workshops and interviews and, and and crowdsourcing. So sort of more qualitative work. And uh, we engaged local stakeholders, for example, learning providers and public employment services in the UK, France and Italy to better understand their needs and challenges. And uh, my colleagues interviewed more than 50 different organizations to understand how these insights could complement their work and what would be necessary to take this work forward. And finally, and uh, sort of last but not least, we also recently performed a crowdsourcing experiment to validate the career transition recommendations by our algorithm. So. Um, We kind of asked a crowd of people to rate around 10,000 of of the transitions uh, and kind of give a common sense judgment whether they think they are feasible or not. Then we use these judgments to refine our um, recommendation algorithm.
0: So to to bring that to life a bit for the people who are listening, could you sort of talk a bit about the results or or, or maybe even give us an example of a job that's going to be automated and the career opportunities that might be open to to people transitioning out of that kind of role?
2: Yeah, so first of all, who is at risk? Um, So we find it maybe unsurprisingly sort of that... uh, Workers who are working in predictable environments and doing routine actions, including also um, one way routine interactions with other people are mostly at risk. So in, in terms of sort of more specific occupations, these would be um, jobs in the retail and customer services or clerical business administration roles and that would be impacted the most. And to some extent, also finance related professionals. So some maybe specific examples that I can name uh, from the top of my head would be like cashiers or sellers or file clerks, for example, or investment clerks or, or even something like property appraiser or surveyors. And uh, I should also definitely mention that by looking at uh, the demographic patterns and looking at the EU Labour First Survey, we unfortunately find that um, actually women are twice as likely to be in these high risk occupations than men. And this was true across all three countries that we studied, like the UK, France, and Italy. And also importantly, that at-risk workers are likely to be lower paid. And therefore, it could be that those at the highest risk of job displacement may also be the ones with uh, fewer financial resources to weather the disruption. And uh, of course, with all this, I should kind of also flag a disclaimer that um, kind of the these results are sort of the potential theoretical impact of automation and that the Actual adoption of automation is a different thing, and actually, we 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 do lack sort of we have a lack of good data on the actual adoption of, of automation or or machine learning solutions at the moment. So it's important to keep in mind that these are theoretical estimates. But kind of the the next question that, that uh, I think we also been asked or should ask is where, given that there is a potential risk uh, for for many workers, uh, so several million in each of these countries, what are their transition options to more secure jobs? And so. One sort of the first kind of striking um, finding that we found was um, that kind of jobs that require similar skills also have similar levels of automation risk. And so when we visualize this map of occupations that is also published on NEST's website that everybody can also see for themselves and explore it, you can clearly see sort of these red high risk areas in the map. And what this means is that the viable transitions for at risk workers are not necessarily automation safe. And so this is uh, when we com- when we compare the high risk uh, occupations with the lower risk occupations, we find that the high risk ones have forty percent less transition options that workers in the lower risk jobs. So this tells us two things, two important things: that it's important to have this information first of all; otherwise, we're kind of navigating around the labor market blindly and uh, not necessarily making sustainable career choices. And secondly, that at risk workers. Might have to make larger leaps to reach safer occupations and so there has to be support systems in place to guide and facilitate uh, retraining and upskilling and um, this brings me to the kind of last point on this segment that uh, so what what are the sort of most uh, promising retraining or upskilling uh, opportunities that could open up new and, and safe career opportunities and so first of all our research kind of confirms that training is important Like using our model, we find that workers with higher levels of training have more transition options. And this training can be of different kinds, it can be on the job, or it can also be through education. And now, in terms of what exactly what kind of training can help, uh, we can also use our um, algorithm to kind of tease apart this this question. And so we find that there are three major types of core skills uh, that on average unlock the highest number of new transition options for any at-risk worker. And these three types are management skills, communication skills, and information analysis and evaluation skills. And so these core skills um, kind of emphasize the potential of non-routine activities that require advanced cognitive reasoning, human judgment, and working with people to protect uh, to protect workers against automation. And so the opportunities for acquiring these kind of skills should be actively pursued, right, and, and supported and uh, these core skills that we haven't covered can be actually naturally gained on the job if more delegation and independent decision-making would be encouraged or alternatively they could also be acquired perhaps through more informal routes like uh, for example volunteering
0: this is a, a very informative and you know very very interesting and slightly alarming piece of research in terms of, of actually mapping this um, mapping this situation what are the intentions, your intentions of how the research should be used, who should be accessing it, and you know what role might the talent acquisition community play in all of this?
1: Yeah, we see probably three main use cases, um, although we've been having a lot of discussions with people about it over the last couple of months and new ideas keep coming up. Um, but the three main ones are probably, first and foremost, um, supporting career moves. So helping people identify transitions that are viable for them based on the skills they've got and also that are desirable so based on whether the new job is at a same salary or, or more to their previous role. Um and it, as Carlos said, it can also identify which occupations are safer from automation. So I suppose if you're if you're you know lost your job or are just looking to move careers into something that's, you know. Better, better suited or more interesting or um um you know more sustainable in the longer term you could think about what those things are and we, we kind of assume that when people are thinking about career changing or perhaps if they've been made redundant they don't necessarily have a very um broad idea of what's available in the job market what we hear from people is that who are working in this space is that um Sometimes people's horizons are quite narrow. And if I think about my own career, I I don't really know much outside of the charity sector. So I think one of the things that we think this could do is help broaden people's horizons and and suggest uh, options to them they might not have otherwise thought of. Um, So that's one use case. Another, as Carlos was just saying, is around um, providing upskilling and retraining advice. So, for example, if uh, you're in, in a job currently and you know what job you want to move to, this model could help you identify which skills you probably have, which skills you might need but probably don't have, and help you think about what uh, what you know, what training you might need to do in order to to access that that job that you want. Another potential use for it is where you actually don't know what jobs you should move into but you know you can't stay in the thing that you're doing perhaps there just aren't enough opportunities or you just want to do something different in that case um based on the the data we have we could recommend um what new types of training would open up the greatest number of opportunities for you so which additional skills might help you do the most new things so one example could be like if you're a shop assistant um this model might recommend that you learn management skills because that would open up quite a few more transition options for you than you might otherwise have. And then the third one is a bit more strategic. So thinking about how to support workers at risk. So you could map the impact of shocks so as we've done with automation, but you could lay overlay other types of shock on, onto the map. So the impact of COVID or The impact of green transition, et cetera, and then understand which groups of workers are going to find it most difficult to kind of escape that shock. And therefore, I would like most likely to need additional support. Um, And we think there's quite a few different groups who could make use of this. So um, we've been talking to um, providers of careers advice and employment support. Of course, that's a big growing sector at the moment with the impact of COVID on on redundancies in the labour market generally. We've been talking to local authorities and others who are working in policy and strategy, um, and also um, I think employers themselves can make use of it. So there's some, say, large organisations who want to think about how they can apply it for learning and development within their own organisations, or maybe think about how they internally redeploy staff. And I think there's there's potentially other uses as well. I mean, we're quite interested in talking to how to recruiters about how um, how far employ, employment practice or recruitment practice. Um, lends itself to a skills based model like this so basically would would recruiters consider um applicants who've got their experience in different sectors and maybe look a bit different from from you know people who are normally employed in those 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 companies and i'd i'd be really interested in your perspective on that and um and also what, what your listeners think of
0: that absolutely and i'm sure there are lots of people listening who, who want to find out more and would love to love to, to have, a, have a conversation to see how that could develop basically i suppose that, that, that with that in mind it would be a good sort of time to remind people where they can actually find the research so you mentioned it was on your website could you just sort of you know where where can people go to to find out more yeah
1: so our website is nesta that's Nesta.org.uk. And if you were to search for Nesta mapping career causeways, you'd get straight to, to the report. Um, what we've got on our, online at the moment is um, the, a, a, quite a detailed report that, that talks through all of the uh, methodology and research findings that Carlos talked about. Um, we've also released the code and the data on GitHub. So if you're a data scientist, you can go there and actually use this stuff yourself. Um, and shortly, we're going to be putting out user guides that are aimed at those core audiences and just trying to show what the use case is for this work and how they can access it. So that's, I think, going to be released in March. Is that right, Carlos?
2: Exactly. Yep, in March.
0: So, as a final question, um, obviously we talked right at the beginning about the pandemic has has made us realise that that making predictions is, is 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 not is not a science because we don't really know what's gonna what's gonna happen next. But based on the research that you've done and the trends that you're you're looking at, what do you think the the future and jobs the future of jobs and works looks like? you know, over, over the next few years, are we going to see mass unemployment? Are we going to see new jobs and new careers uh, being invented? What, what's your kind of perspective on where we might be heading?
2: So as Madeline explained a bit earlier, you know, the future is uh, really uncertain and there is a whole host of trends that could affect it. But I wanted to give an optimistic prediction, and it's more to do with the kind of future career technologies that we will have. And I personally see a future where employment services and workers you'll have at their disposal amazing and advanced career planning tools. So be it websites or or apps on your phone. Um, When I think about these tools, I I think it's something like Google Maps for jobs and skills. You know, like like Google Maps allows you to locate yourself in the world and find what's around you, be it a cafeteria or pharmacy or or cinema. And it allows you to find a path right from point A to point B. And in the same fashion, I think we'll have career planning tools that will locate you in the occupational landscape based on your competencies and experience and will show you the other jobs where you can use your skills. And moreover, it should also show you how to get from where you currently are to where you want to be. And it should point out also the skills that you need to learn on the way and where you can learn them and how much time and money it will take. Now, kind of in this brave new world of uh, algorithmic career guidance technology, um, I would also kind of like to give a few words of caution or, or things that we should keep in mind. Um, and my colleagues recently came up with four key principles that, uh, we have, that they formulated how these new career guidance tools should work. And, the, and, and let me just kind of maybe tell you these four principles. So the first one is that they should be viewed as complementary rather than a substitute to the existing tools, advice or information sources. Secondly, they should be open to scrutiny, so completely transparent, so that if there is any bias or, or any potential kind of, um, you know, misinformation there, then, then it should be trans- transparent enough so that it's easily identifiable. Um, thirdly, these kind of tools should only be used to broaden options, so we don't want to limit people's choices and push them in some, in some career that maybe is not best for them. And finally, the advice should be focused, of course, in the long term. So providing sustainable recommendations for jobs that will remain safe from automation also in the coming years. So kind of to, to bring it together, I, I would say, um, you know, as the saying goes that the best way to predict the future is to create it. And you know, Mapping Career Causeways projects makes a, a humble step in this optimistic direction. But I think as another example, we can also get a glimpse of this future by looking at um, what also Madeline mentioned in the beginning, the, the Nestes Career Tech Challenge. Which is uh, this competition where um, there are several, uh, about 20 co- companies that are competing to create digital solutions that improve the access to accurate career advice and guidance. And um, this competition will close this year in March when the winner will be announced.
0: Fantastic. Madeline and Carlos, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Matt. Thank you very much, Matt. My thanks to Madeline and Carlos. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. And on that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time. And I hope you'll join me.
1: This is my show.